Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to the third season of Parent Talk, everything parenting and more. We are broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle, mom of two. I'm also the host of Les Parents Parlent, which is Parent Talk's French edition. Today, we are talking about strategies for bedtime behavior. So let's go around the table and introduce herself. Also, Heather, can you talk to us about our new sponsor? Hey everyone, Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk, and I am a mom of two as well. Yes, we wanted to tell you all about our new sponsor. Hudson and Alex are having so much fun at Leapfrog Gymnastics here in Coquitlam. I love how the whole space is designed, especially for recreational gymnastics, with smaller scale equipment and lots of specialized mats. In class, the boys get to go through fun and challenging circuits, which they work on important skills such as body and spatial awareness, strength, balance, and course coordination. As a sponsor, Leapfrog Gymnastics is offering our listeners $25 off their first month of classes for new members only with the promo code PARENTTALK. For more information on their programming and birthday parties, visit leapfroggym.com. Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm Lara Rabb. I'm the owner of Heavy Eyes Happy Hearts Sleep Consulting. I am a 33-year-old mom of two. My oldest is five and my youngest is two. They have been showing me the truth about sleepless nights since 2013. And I work with families to overcome sleep challenges that they're experiencing in their homes. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Or we should say, we're welcome to your club. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think most parents are in the club. Absolutely. So, Lara, what are the most common toddler sleep challenges? I think there's a lot of different toddler sleep challenges people experience. I think you either experience sleep challenges in the baby years or in the toddler years, sometimes both, but sometimes one or not the other. With toddlers, we tend to see a lot of bedtime resistance, stalling behavior, not wanting to go to bed, um, not wanting to transition from awake to asleep without the help of a parent. Sometimes a lot of fears associated with going to sleep or um, even a super late bedtime. I think a lot of early toddlers as well, like 18 months, two years are still nursing to sleep at bedtime. And sometimes that's a behavior that is a little bit exhausted, I guess. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe nursing mom is a little bit ready to move on, but nursing toddler, not quite ready. All right. So Laura, how can we best prepare families to make changes at bedtime? Yeah, I think you need to uh, think about what it is that you want to change. So oftentimes we are working with our toddlers, and I'm thinking ages two to five when I say toddler, but really could be any child over age one. And um, I think you need to think about the thing that you most want to change, what's most not working for your family and prepare to make a plan around that. I often say to families like, what is not sustainable for you as a family unit? Often a particular bedtime behavior or something that our toddlers expect when they're going to sleep is 
helpful for the toddler. They know it. They love it. It's absolutely the thing that they want, but the parents are exhausted around it or loathe bedtime or really fear the night that's coming or what's going to happen for their family. Um, I think it's important to prepare yourselves first. Find your own motivation for change. When I'm talking about making plans with families that I support, I say, okay, what are our goals? What are we working towards here? So if the particular goal is, you know, we want our little one to be able to fall asleep without holding someone's hand at bedtime or more independently at bedtime, I'm like, why? Why is that important to you? Is it because you just think that they should be capable of doing that by now? Do you think that, you know, all of your friends' kids are able to do that? Do you think you're getting a lot of outside pressure from your own parents, from grandparents to make changes? So I think looking at the why behind your own behavior and your own motivation for change is a good place to start. Okay, so when you're thinking about those goals in terms of what you're hoping to achieve, so in the example I gave, like falling asleep independently at bedtime or not holding a parent's hand until they're all the way asleep, uh, think about what your own motivation is for achieving that goal. You know, sometimes you might say, well, I really need my evenings to myself to relax or to recharge, or it's taking me an hour or two hours to put my kid to bed, and that's time that I could be focusing on an online course or even working towards my master's. Sometimes the parents that I'm working with feel like the amount of time that they're spending on putting their children to bed could be put to much better use for themselves, for their own rest and their own reflection or for their families. So I think just talking about it with your partner and making sure that you guys are on the same page um, and putting a plan into place before you actually communicate that to your toddler is important. So of course we want the toddlers and preschoolers to be aware of the changes that are coming. So I think that's the next step in preparing our families for bedtime changes. So for example, let's see mm-hmm. my son, I have to hold his hand for him to fall asleep. So mm-hmm. I tell him ahead of time, so Alex, I am not going to be holding your hand anymore. We'll start in one week. Okay. Yeah. That's, is it a good yeah, example? One, sure. One week tends to be pretty long in toddler time. Okay. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I usually go with like somewhere in the middle there, like three or four days. And I think Yes, definitely talk with him about the changes that are coming, communicate. I feel like when I say that to families, they're always like, oh yeah, totally, I'm going to do that. And then, but they're like, I never thought of doing that until you told me to. (laughs) So, you know, our children are so capable of understanding and processing information and even rising to the occasion of what we want them to be able to achieve. So that makes me think of kind of what Hudson just went through recently, where he was needing either to fall asleep on me or for my husband to lay down on the floor for him to fall asleep. But then my husband had to work a few nights and that meant I was putting him to bed. So, you know, I gently said, Hudson, you know, we have to go to bed now and I have to lay in your crib and mommy loves you. You're safe. I have to go pee. Yeah. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, within like two days, he's totally fine with us putting him down independently to go to sleep. So it was just about communicating. Yeah. (laughs) Victory. Victory. (laughs) Didn't really think to tell him that, but yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's a huge victory, but you you saw an opportunity too. And, you know, there's a lot of things you could have done in that scenario to be like, no, I'm not, you know, like, oh, I'll just take him with me to go pee or like, I'll just like, you know, there's a lot of other things that could have happened, but you also saw an opportunity. You're like, I think my son can handle this. I think he's ready for it. I'm going to communicate it to him. And then I'm going to follow through on what I said I was going to do, which was I was going to go pee. (laughs) So I think that's a really perfect example, Heather. And um, I like it a lot. I think we need to talk about changes that are coming. And there's lots of toddler-friendly ways you can do that as well. One of the suggestions I have, if, if you have three or four days to prepare, is to create a social story for your toddler. Super helpful if there's any night weaning that does need to take place or uh, weaning yeah, off breastfeeding at bedtime. If you can create a toddler-friendly countdown to go with your social story, A social story is just like a visual picture of step-by-step, this is what we're doing, and then this is what happens next, and then this is the thing that happens next. So for example, a bedtime social story might be like, we go upstairs, and we brush our teeth, and then we pick out two stories to read, and we put our diaper on, and then we get into our pajamas, you know, that kind of thing showing them what the outcome is that you want to achieve in the very end. So if that's falling asleep while mommy sits beside you instead, or uh, mommy checks on you from the door, or mommy sits on the floor, or whatever it is, instead of hand-holding, communicating what that change is that's coming and what you're hoping to achieve with them is super important. And then tie that in with a toddler-friendly countdown as well. So you can have post-it notes that just say like three, two, one, for example. And every night when you go to sleep at bedtime, they can pull one of those post-its down off the wall so they know, okay, once the post-its are gone, that's when our new change starts, that thing that we've been talking about. That's very visual. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why is it important that our children have the opportunity to express their feelings around these changes? I think that transitioning from awake to asleep is a vulnerable change of state. And I feel like we, as parents, especially in North America, we're very, you know, we have a very independent sleep view for the most part. It's like our children sleep separate from us and sleeping separately has been thought of in the past to build independence in our children. And we're, I mean, new studies are coming out to suggest that's likely not uh, how independence is grown in children is from them sleeping apart. Attachment theory suggests otherwise, but we can get into that into another podcast maybe one day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that transition is really hard. And if you think about how you make that transition and maybe how your partner does, for me, I need a long wind down for sleep. I need to follow the steps in my own bedtime routine in order to relax enough to go to sleep. And my partner just, he doesn't even need to brush his teeth, which is disgusting, but he could just, (laughs) (laughs) he could just lay right down and he's out like a light and (laughs) what is it with these people? So, you know, I think our children do have a hard time sometimes transitioning and their feelings do need to be heard. I'm a really big believer in sometimes what is happening in our children's world is presenting itself as a problem at bedtime or problematic bedtime behavior, but it's actually not about 
the bedtime behavior at all. So sometimes what our children are experiencing or going through in their lives, the anxiety that they're experiencing, a problem at school or preschool, things that they're processing lead to really problematic bedtime behaviors like stalling or not wanting to go to sleep without a parent. And if we just approach the bedtime behavior as the problem to be solved, we can miss out on so many other things that are happening in our children's lives and also a lot of other opportunities to process and work through anxiety and problem solve together and come up with strategies to help ourselves. Like for example, my five-year-old, he has genuine fears about going to sleep and will be quite scared like of monsters or something like that under the bed. And I never say like, oh, let's get the monster spray out and spray all the monsters down. Like that is putting fuel on a fire. It's saying monsters do exist and that's something for you to be afraid of where that's really not true, right? So we need to talk about that outside of sleep time uh, to really get to the root of the issue. And I also believe that toddlers, their job is to look for limits. And I think you guys both have toddlers, so you know that they're always looking for that limit. Where do my parents set a boundary and do they uphold the boundary? Is there wiggle room around mm. the boundary? So what's the tip if your children are scared of monster? If we don't use the spray, what do we do? <laughs> I think we need to talk about the fact that monsters just really are not real. Like that's not a real fear. I think for many children between the ages of three to eight, even, they're starting to just differentiate real from make-believe. So I think we need to, if we, if we make the spray and we spray the monsters, we're giving the monster idea power. We're saying that is something that you need to be afraid of because that's a real thing. But if we say monsters don't exist, they're not real, that's something that you see in movies and, you know. Because <laughs> it's funny, Alex started mentioning monsters a little bit. Yeah. And I said... Well, monsters are fun because we had the, yeah. the little figurine from the monster movies. Oh, right, yeah. I'm like, look, that's a monster. He's my friend. I'm, we played together with your bus and with your blind. He's like, okay. That's yeah. that's basically if, how if I that, handled it. No, that, there's nothing wrong with that. I think everyone, for Alex and his stage where he's at, sounds like that was perfect and exactly what he needed, right? Yeah. yeah it's. I think there's different strategies for different age groups and different amount of genuine fear and all that stuff. But yeah, I think originally when I was thinking of this question, I was thinking of that train analogy. Have you, have you guys read that blog? No, no, it's, I should, if I'm going to credit someone's blog, maybe I should know who wrote it. But anyway, it's a, it's an analogy about our toddler's crying and moving through different emotions and how they have to hit a wall somewhere and really process that emotion to get to the other side. So if our children don't have the opportunity to feel, to express themselves around changes that we're making to their sleep routines, they kind of get stuck in one place. They have, you know, as parents naturally we're like, oh no, no, don't cry or don't, don't, don't fuss. Like you don't have to do that. But Really, they have to process that emotion to move through the emotion to get to the other side. And I think that's important to consider in sleep work. 
It's not just all about the sleep, right? Mm -hmm. A little thing that we had to do, my husband and I, is specifically when I was back at work Mm -hmm. after mat leave, is I was getting home a little bit late after work and I wanted to play with my family. We wanted to spend time together. So we choose to start doing the bedtime story when I came back from work. So we did it right before dinner time, actually. So we would read, and then after that we got dinner, and then we would do our things. And then, so when it was time to go to bed, it was going to taking a bath, mm-hmm. brushing your teeth, and going to bed. There was nothing else left. Mm-hmm. So for us, it worked for our lifestyle. And I have talked to my husband about this before, but uh, so far, so good. And by removing everything else, like even the other day we left, I decided to turn on his monkey lamp and we never do this, right? And then I turned off the monkey lamp and we left out and I left the room and he started crying because this is not part of the routine. Like mm-hmm. I open and I turn on another light. And so I just... I just realized how the, our bedtime routine is actually quite fragile. You got to stick to it. Yeah. And even a monkey lamp mm-hmm. that night created a bit of a fuss. Yeah. 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 Our children are definitely creatures of habit. I think they're really trying to process the world and categorize it. So for them, you know, a small change for you, like the monkey lamp, is a big change in a child's mind, right? And I just thought it would be fun instead of turning on the light, the mm-hmm. usual light, I just said, oh, let's turn on the monkey lamp. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, no. <laughs> so my question is, how can we as a team support each other through sleep challenges? Yeah, I think it's important to think of it as a team aspect. Many times when there are sleep challenges, they fall onto one parent. So for example, we get into routines and I've been in them in my home too, where only one parent can put one child to bed. Yeah. So I think it's important to have each other's back. That's step one. So I talked about the planning process a little bit at the beginning there, sitting down and thinking about what the motivation is for change and talking about that together. And oftentimes, I mean, I work with families. I work with the whole family as a unit. It's pretty important to me that I'll work with both parents around sleep challenges that they're experiencing. And that's because I don't want to see them sabotage one another's efforts. So sometimes one parent will put together a great plan and have an idea in place and they'll be really working emotionally with their child, trying to move through and process and hold their child, hold space through that emotional development. And then the partner will just swoop in and be like, nope, this is not happening this way tonight, for example. So I say it's important to plan together. If it's a problem for one of you or a challenge for one of you, then it's a challenge for the whole family. And we have to work together through that. And I think having each other's back is really important. So when my kids want just mommy to do something like change a diaper or, you know, brush teeth, you know, only mommy can do it. I, uh, yeah, we have that sometimes. <laughs> Genevieve's face. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have that sometimes. And I, I have to stand behind my partner and say, you know, no, daddy can do that for you. Daddy's really great at doing that for you. Daddy can brush your teeth. Good daddy can you. change your diaper. Because if I give in, then I'm going to be the one who's doing it every 
single night. Um, but that's important to me. And I think that our children are also very good at seeing loopholes that exist in parental planning. So if one parent has an idea, it should go one way. And then the toddler is like, oh no, I think I can negotiate here with dad, or I can negotiate with mom and get this to the outcome to change. I think it's important that our children are very aware that we're a team. We have a particular plan. It's for the greater good of the whole family. And then we speak highly through, highly of each other through it. And we get through it together. And uh, yeah. I went out this weekend with a few moms and I was actually quite touched to see it. some of them are really struggling with their partners being away for seven days in a row. Mm-hmm. So they're exhausted. And when you're tired, you're not your best. We all know that. But bedtime routine comes. The kids are challenging at bedtime. Do you have any tips for those moms or dads, you know, out there that um, have to do it all on their own? Yeah, have to do it all on their own. I've actually been that person too. So my partner is an exploration geologist. So he leaves for weeks at a time, sometimes five or six weeks. And thankfully in the last year, that has not been a part of our routine. But one of the common challenges that existed for us through those transitional times where he would leave and come back was one, yes, our children only, they would want daddy for the night that he came home and that was it. And then it was right back to mommy because mommy is the routine and mommy is comfort and mommy is So you love. still don't get a break. And oh, it was, it was tra- hard. So I do have a tip, especially for toddler families. So for those parents who have one partner that travels a lot and then the children have an expectation for one person to put them to bed all the time, creating just a visual for them as well, a chart where they have like, you know, mommy nights and daddy nights, if that's the co-parent or mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy, whoever it is, uh, nights and have a chart on the wall. So it's like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then have little parent figurines or like sticky notes with mom on them, sticky notes with dad on them. And if, if in our house, because my children only wanted me, or this is my oldest that had a really strong preference for me. We started off with just one daddy night a week. (laughs) And so in the folder, we just had one dad and we had six moms. And then our toddler was able to go in, pick out the people and put them up on the nights that he wanted. And then if we had something that we were doing, we would just go in and rearrange them. And because they were only two, they didn't really pay that much attention to our rearranging. And uh, then with each week that passed, we added another daddy night. So we had two the following week, three, four, you know, until it was more even. And then we would just map it out however we needed to. That worked pretty well at our house and our child's pretty particular and slow to make change. So I'd like to think that that could help for a lot of people, but sometimes it is also throwing them in the lion's den and leaving. (laughs) And I know that might sound heartless, but I really do believe that our partners sometimes have a very challenging time carrying out bedtime when the preferred parent is there in the home. 
and they know, you know, okay, mom has this perfected. She does it every night. She's got a style. She's got a routine and the kids know it. And there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure. If So it's hard for the other person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that the other person can even go towards bedtime with a certain level of anxiety too, mm-hmm. knowing what's coming, that they're not mastering it like the other person, right? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All right, Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. Heather, can you please grab a card and read it to us? All right, ladies. So today, huh, what would be the best and the worst things about having a twin? Oh, your own twin or yeah. not birthing them? No, not birthing. This is like you having a twin. Ah. Best and worst. I think the best thing would be having someone with shared experience through most every aspect of your life. I think it'd be pretty cool to be like, hey, you were there too. And you were there too. And you were there. Remember that time when? So with my sibling, I have, you know, three year gaps. So there's time that I existed without her. I guess for twins that doesn't exist but then I also think the worst thing would be like they were always there too <laughs> I don't know that makes sense <laughs> <It does. laughs> um I think the best thing like I think what is so cool is when you see the twins and they have that that twin intuition that super amazing connection that mm-hmm. you know regular siblings just don't have the same so I think that would be really cool to be able to have that super close intuition with your twin But yeah, just for me, like, I don't, I don't like always sharing the spotlight <laughs> with the twin. You share the spotlight. So yeah. So it, and then you, I mean, it, sharing friends, sharing. Yeah. There's a lot of sharing. A lot, <laughs> a lot of sharing. A lot of sharing. Sometimes you just don't want to share. <laughs> yeah. When I was in high school, we, I had two friends, obviously they were twins and um, they would exchange each other clothing and, or not. Yeah. And they would go to each other's exam. So I would have loved to do this. You only have to, okay, I only study math, study math yeah. and you're going to study physics. And they would exchange each other's class. Nobody would know. I always so, see that in movies, but they did it in real yeah. life. That's awesome. So that was <laughs> awesome. And like a little bit like Heather said, then um, you end up having a little bit of competition. And I'm not very good with competition. Well, I should say this. I should say, well, Competition is definitely something in my family that uh, we will play cards until like the person has no more cards. Like we will finish games all the way until the last mm-hmm. card. So I can imagine my life having someone on top of that. <laughs> And I only had a brother. So if I had a twin that was another sister, I guess that could bring a little bit more of a girl-girl uh, rivalry or I don't know. <laughs> that would be interesting. All right. Well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank you, Lara and Heather, for taking the time to be here and helping us be the best parents we can be. For our listeners, if you want to hear a little bit more about Heather and I, we are releasing some mini episodes called Real Mom Moments, where we talk about what's happening in our daily lives. If you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. If you're near us, don't forget to check out Leapfrog Gymnastics and get your $25 off your first month with the promo code PARENTTALK. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website at parenttalk.ca. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, we're inviting you to share it on your social media. As we all know, parenting can be hard. So it's important to remember to laugh, keep learning, cherish your village, and be true to yourself. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Bye. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner. Thank you.